Welcome to Taking Back Our Corners, the officially unofficial podcast for We Own This City on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season one, episode two. Or I don't even know if it's season one. It's probably just episode two. It's a limited series. Uh, Aaron, what would you think of this episode? Uh, I liked it. It's this is uh, this is an episode where they're literally and metaphorically building the case. Uh, they're building. Uh, you, you've got the federal investigators building a case against these uh, Baltimore Police Department cops. You've got David Simon and George Pelicanos building the same case, uh, except for they're indicting the entire police because, like, <laughs> I, system, I think. Yeah you're already seeing the kind of like broad strokes of they're not saying that uh, Wayne Jenkins is necessarily a bad guy. Um, but he's definitely a bad cop. And it seems like the Baltimore police department is a factory that, uh, that, that churns out. They take raw material, which is, you know, new recruits that have been instructed to do the job correctly and to have cultural sensitivity and on day one, that is beat out of them. And instead, it's just the the almost wartime martial law rules of uh, what the beat cops think their job is on Baltimore, which is just has very little relation to actual policing. And I thought that stuff was interesting. As far as the investigation, you know, we're in the middle of it. Um, it, it's it this this time jumping back and forth. I feel like is maybe a weakness in this early episode because we know so much more than the investigators do. We're just kind of waiting for yeah, them yeah. to stumble upon these connections that we've already made and we can already see. Um, and th- that's odd that like you know um that stuff feels a little perfunctory and there's like some aha moments, but we're which which makes me think there might be a couple more secrets that we don't or or maybe the secret is. How high does this go up? Because we we hear about the sergeant who's since been pr- promoted to the DEA. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of that, and then the the steel stuff I think is interesting too. It still seems a lot expository, where she's just kind of going around and is in the audience position of asking questions. We're all like, why is this happening? Why is this policing the way it is? And finding the surprising slash infuriating answers. Yeah. Uh, and also continues to be extremely well acted and, and well shot show mm-hmm. uh, some, 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 some funny dialogue here and there. Uh, what did you think? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, this, this was not as good as the first episode to me, but I do appreciate like how they're attacking the angle of, or they're attacking the, the idea of this broken system from all angles. Like you can see it embedded into every storyline here. Right. And that's, you could tell it's ultimately the story that they want to tell is why is the system broken? Um, I don't know if they'll get around to like, hey, what are the fixes for this? But uh, definitely they they want to show you that it's not a couple of bad actors here, right? The whole thing is set up to incentivize perversely some bad behaviors. Um, and and I, I feel like they're doing that with every single storyline. Like you get Jamel in there who's talking about like, you want me to come into a, this group of people and do the right thing? Are you kidding me? Um, you You get like... You know, Jenkins, who on day one is being told, like, yeah, everything you learned about how to do this the right way, fuck that, uh, it, it, by the guy who's who's there to train him. So, yeah, I mean, how, how do you expect to withstand that kind of pressure as a new cadet or as a cadet who's just entering the force for the first time? So. And how multifaceted that pressure is. It's like officially your field training officer saying all that you know is bullshit. 
It uh-huh. is looking around and seeing the examples people set. Uh, it's, it's looking quotas. around. And see- it's it's quotas. It's also money. You know, yeah. like uh-huh. uh, what 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 are what are we getting paid for? How much are we getting paid? What is it worth? Uh, and when you, yeah. when you're getting paid less than your friends because you're doing the right thing, you bringing crabs to the to the lake house lunch, lake house cookout, you get laughed at for that. You know, it's it's like there's a lot of it's peer pressure, but it's also like social pressure. It's not even just like oh the incentives are perverse because the money is involved. It's like, no, the money is, is a means to an end as far as fitting in with this group. Right. It's it, yeah. It, it's all kinds of messed up. And I, I really like how they're approaching it from every angle. Yeah, I do too. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, and not only it's, it's all that they, it's, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. Like we, we see two years in the course of Jenkins life and how he goes from idealistic recruit. That's kind of in awe of all the people that came before and these officers slain in the line of duty and the honor for the honor of the city of Baltimore and, mm-hmm. and, and all that to a guy who starts bending the rules and then know there's another 13 years before the task force happens and another two years before the invest, like, not only do you have this pressure, but like if you do resist it, um, like after how yes. it's been a year, two years, five years, ten years, and everybody else around, you know, you 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 bring hot dogs to the cookout, and they're bringing caviar and lobster. Like, I it's it's one of those things that's like I kept on asking, like, what would I do in this situation, and and what is, and when you look, they also show the other side of like, show me the good cop that actually speaks out yep. against the system and tries to do, and what happens to them? Yeah, you they know, just get put on a, a useless post, and they have to just sit on their hands. They they can't do any good, right? Because they're sidelined. Intentionally. It's like Lester in the wire all over again. He's he's yeah. making dollhouse. You know, he's reduced to making dollhouse furniture in the basement somewhere because he's too good. He's too good police. Yeah. Uh, it's infuriating. I'm watching this <laughs> and the the uh, Treme at the same time, and I watched the I watched this episode, and then I watched the episode. I think it's episode seven, the first season of Treme, where uh, Clark Peters is mo- moving back into a project house after the hurricane, and he gets brutalized by police. And like you just that those two hours back to back just you make you want to piss blood. Hmm. Uh, and. Uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, David Simon's Twitter handle is Age of Despair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I, I I I keep going back to how do you fix this? Like I understand, like when when you see shows like this and you hear like activists say, "There's no reforming this," you know, um, that's bad news because it needs to be reformed. This stuff needs to be fixed. Uh, mm-hmm. It's getting to the point where even good police can't do their jobs because when they get on the stand that they're looking at 12 yes. people, arms crossed, eyes narrowed, thinking, well, you're a lying son of a bitch. Yeah, uh, it's, it's how, a self-perpetuating cycle, right? Right. So no matter how good the prosecutors and how, like you, you, you've probably got a generation of feudal policing ahead of you if you fixed it right now, because it's going to take that long for the citizenry to to get the trust back. And the fact that, like, I doubt those things have actually started meaningfully turning around in Baltimore. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd like to be to be proven wrong. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 depressing, infuriating uh, and, and still super, super watchable. Should we get into like uh, the discussion? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I did. Did you check? Uh, did you know that there's an official podcast? Uh, I think I knew that, but I haven't listened to it. 
HBO continues to do their damnedest to put us out of a job, uh, which is it, which is which is okay. I still think we have our corners that we can we yeah. can claim uh, as far as independent coverage, but uh, it's it's a pretty good one. It's it's hosted by D. Watkins, who is one of the head writers of the show, and he's got a fascinating backstory. He is a kid that grew up in Baltimore, got mixed up in the drug scene. Uh, I think his story, uh, I might've gotten this wrong, but, uh, cause I, I, I researched him a bit on, on Wikipedia and he got into be, I think 18 and either his friends or one of his brothers got killed and he decided that scared him straight. And he took all the drug money that he had thus far and invested into a coffee shop and went legit, got himself educated, nice. uh, became a professor at a Baltimore university has written a bunch of stuff about the, the Baltimore crime experience and was personally tapped. Uh, was called out of blue by David Simon. It's like, Hey, would you like to join our writer's room? You got hmm. an interesting perspective. He actually says in the podcast that he ran around, he got busted several times and had run-ins of altercations with the cops depicted on this show. Oh, boy. So the writer's room has got firsthand knowledge of what's going on here. Um, And uh, they also had a really great interview with uh, John Bernthal, who said that he, you know, like the one he was really interested in this show because policing and intersection of justice and race in America is something that he, in a direct quote, leaves has left him confused, frustrated by, passionate about policing. You know, he's portrayed the Punisher who, you know, has got an unhealthy uh, fixation by some of the law enforcement officers in this country. Sure. Um, And and he talks about the research that he went in this role, which consisted of him watching hours of body cam footage of Wayne Jenkins on stops, Hmm. him interviewing Wayne Jenkins, talking to him from prison, uh, uh, you know, slight spoilers for where this is going. He's going to, he's, it sounds like he's going to keep the purple jammies on. Yeah. I was going to say he's already there. Um, uh, interviewed uh, people that he worked with, his superiors, his coworkers, people on the street that were busted by him and had run-ins with him. And it just you just get this complicated. He went on a bunch of ride alongs in every district in Baltimore. Um, And you come away with this idea that, again, um, Simon said this too, direct quote, like we will have failed if we make Wayne Jenkins out to be a singular monster because that's not what the story is about. And Bernthal said this guy's really multifaceted guy. This guy's a, a Marine veteran. Uh, a great father, committed husband, like uh, everybody that worked with him said he was a great guy. Um, but yet he also victimized the shit out of people and took advantage of the public trust. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting, Bernthal, like I guess when he's doing these ride alongs, he was going around the police unit that he was so convincing as a cop that like some of the sus- one of the suspects took a swing on him, uh, <laughs> tried to attack him thinking he was a cop. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing he thought he he revealed about Jenkins is that he he said he was a master code switcher that he could go, you know, he could he if he's talking to his superiors, he could, you know, uh, talk that way. He could talk uh, pe- the people on the street. One of the things he prided himself for is that they got a criminal. Uh, they pick someone up and they got their cell phone that he would go through their phone book and call people in the contacts and, and pose that, that, that he is their friend and was convincing enough to get in the meetup and, bu- mm. you know, keep the chain of bus going. Wow. Um, it's just really interesting. And uh, I, I thought it was a great interview and it got a lot of good personal insight into how I kind of admitted that Bernthal was to the role and, and embodying this guy and trying to, you know, again, you're, you're, you're what we're, we're, uh, 
two episodes in, obviously Jenkins is a, is I'm, I'm much more comfortable saying that he's an obvious shit bird at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But he was hammered into that shape. Uh, uh-huh. And there's, there's some pity to be had, uh, you know, pity for his victims. Sure. But also this guy who maybe could have been a great cop and was corrupted by this, this system. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to listening to this as we go along throughout the season. And uh, as I get little interesting chunks uh, and, and nuggets, I'll, I'll bring them up to the, the podcast. So, yeah, I'm going to check it out. I didn't have a lot of time last night. I expected to have more time, but I ended up doing a stream that was way longer than I expected. Um, yeah. So I only got to watch this episode once. And boy, can I tell you the experience of watching this episode was rough for me? Because as you guys know, we have screeners, but those screeners do not come with subtitles. And some of the people in this show have serious mush mouth. Uh, they they mumble. They have uh, accents that are hard the to Balmer understand accent, sometimes. Yeah. And they're using lingo that is unfamiliar to me. And when I hear them say something, I'm very confused. And I, I literally spent two and a half hours watching this 57-minute episode last night. Because I had to rewind just over and over and over to try and decipher what the hell did that guy say and how does that connect to everything else? I have a similar story. I I watched this episode once as soon as we got done recording the last episode, and it was like I no longer was afraid that I'd spoil anything. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I watched the second I and I enjoyed it, and then you know a couple of days later, I allotted a full three hours for my <laughs> research and note taking. Uh huh. Uh, 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 pass, and I thought that'd be plenty. Like, in fact, I'd have a bunch of time to, like, you know, look up some cases and stuff. It took all of that three hours just to write the notes, get all the characters, and yeah, because like, y- like you said, I had to like back up like 10, 15 times, and so I was like, "What the fuck is he saying <laughs> about core cases?" And and I'm still uh, getting used to some of the character names, so I don't know who everybody is, right. uh, like by name, so much. So I have to look people up, and that took a while. Right. And, I was I was yeah. Detective Marlowe Stanfield in a lot of <laughs> stuff in this episode, for sure. But uh, and I and the other thing is like I I feel some of it is I, I don't even need to because I think there's some of these ideas like that. The, it seems like Simon and Pelicanos like to just kind of like slip in there. And they're going to elaborate and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're telling a story in a certain way. And you're going to have aha moments as we go on where you make those connections organically. You don't have to really, yeah, probably, you know, force them out. But um, like we but, said that first time we're podcasters, we prefer to understand what's happening in the episode detail yeah. uh, from a detailed perspective. But yeah, that's why they pay us a quote unquote big bucks. That's, all, that's sure. why we're taking home the bushel of the, the, the big crabs, the fat crabs, the fat and meaty oh, yeah. crabs. These, these medium crabs. These medium crabs. Get these medium crabs out of here. We're looking for the fat. $47 fat. worth of crab. I could eat $47 worth of crab. <sighs> Hardly worth sprinkling the old bay on them, to tell you the truth. <laughs> right. uh, we want them fat, meaty crabs here. On the, we, we're taking back our corners and our crabs. <laughs> uh, um, well, so I threaded this. Uh, the up front is uh, the thread that kind of holds this episode together is the official federal investigation. And it, it ranges a lot of different places. It it uh, it's it's uh, it's a detective McDougal and Kilpatrick. Uh, them working with the feds. It's the feds interviewing uh, Jamel Rayum. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, we start off with Wayne shouting at this uh, Jamel guy to keep his mouth shut. They don't got nothing. He meets with the FBI officers and or agents and immediately decides, ah, you know what? Fuck it. And kind of spills his guts. Yeah. Why? Because he cut a deal. Do you, 
It seems like a smart play because yeah. I think uh, when when the FBI gets their claws into you, if uh, you've been doing, you know, it's one thing if if they're if you haven't done anything wrong, but if you haven't doing the wrong on the scale of these guys, they probably have enough to put you away without your cooperation. So it's kind of a race to who's going to cooperate first is going to be get the best deal, and the people right. to hold out are going to be sailed up the river um yeah they've probably already made some kind of a case uh and and they i feel like they sort of go over that in this episode i thought it's interesting that he, he waived his right to a lawyer he mentioned like well am i gonna pay 500 dollars an hour for a lawyer because like even having a public defender yeah would be better than literally nothing, but I think he's just like I'm. I'm just going to throw myself at the mercy of the, these these feds and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the 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 stuff that we get out of him is just the widespreadness of the corruption, and that it's interesting to see these FBI agents like like uh, um. And I think that's that's one of the tensions in this episode is like how high are they going to go? Because if you remember, one of the the, the ironies of the wire is, um, you know, it starts off this low level street crime and they go up to the and, and investigating the Barksdale's organization. But then they find out that there's this corruption goes all the way up into the mayor's office. There's yeah. corruption at the federal level. And there is very little interest in getting much higher than the street level crime officially. Like that stuff is kind of shut down. Ah, well, let's, let's, let's make our cases and closures and move on. They hint that there's a sergeant that's since been promoted to the DEA. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they make a case for the mayor being complicit in all this too, right? For just for, they say like, look, if the crime rate comes, if the shooting comes down, the crime rate comes down, the mayor gets to be governor, right? Right. And this is politics. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a form of the corruption that's going on in the police department. It's certainly helped to perpetuate that. Yeah. Um, but, but even that, that like, you got the, you know, the Lieutenant and Sergeant seems like the federal agents are aghast that like, even the, this is, this isn't just like one rogue officer. This is like, goes into the leadership and, uh, yeah. Uh, Jamail explains that like they're even worse because you know there's all kinds of tricks a beat cop can play like a rank and file to get more overtime and did that but like they have to do admin tasks and paperwork and you don't get time you don't get overtime for that so they're even hungrier for that ill-gotten gains and there's even like these all these perverse incentives you know yeah Um. I, one of the questions I, I came up with is like what is a fair what is a fair wage to pay a cop? Because on the official podcast, D Money or D Wilkins and um, Bernthal are talking about these guys, you know, like feathering their nest a little bit because they don't feel like they got paid enough to go out there. And they're kind of joking about, well, you saw what the pay is when you joined up. And like, well, one of the reasons that we pay like our politicians so much money you know the reason we pay our president half a million dollars a year and we pay our senators like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. the idea is that you pay it's not like that you know the being a state senator or whatever is hard it's like you you pay them a fair amount of money so that they are not vulnerable to these types of corruptions yeah which i i feel like doesn't work because people are some people are inherently greedy and, and infinitely greedy yeah like there is no amount of money you can pay somebody where they won't say, I want a little bit more if you if you catch the right person. Right. But it seems like when the hiring, pro- the, the, I mean, this, this is, um, 
something that I, I wanted to show a touch on. But like, yeah, I've heard that like when we're hiring police officers, like you don't want them to be too educated. You don't want them to be, uh, you, you know, uh, you, you don't want them to be too middle class. You don't want them to be too intelligent because, you know, this is kind of like you're 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 realizing they're offering them a, a raw deal. Go out there for thirty five thousand dollars. You might get shot. You might get beat up. You might not make it home. Uh, I, I'm wondering, it's like, is there like, should we pay our police officers more money so that they don't feel like they have to do this to provide for their family? Um, and you usually, yeah, you're right. I it's mean, not, it's not a silver bullet, but I do think right. that the more the officers are paid, the more that they would be feel comfortable, like dropping a dime on someone who's, who's, who's on the dole. Yeah. I mean, uh, a livable wage, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the thing, yeah. like the livable wage and that definition varies, um, for people all over the country, right? What's livable here in Cincinnati yeah, is not going to be livable in San Francisco. But sure. yeah, we should absolutely pay the people who are there to protect and serve uh, a livable wage. If we're not, what the hell are we doing? Now, I, I don't know what that means when it comes to, hey, I have five kids. Uh, like what, what's livable also for someone with no kids is not livable for someone with five kids. So yeah. Yeah. How, how do you uh, square that circle, that square, square that circle, whatever? I don't know. But yeah, I, I think like you need to give those people the assurance that if they play by these rules and if they do things the right way, they will be taken care of. And I think it's all you can do, right? Yeah. Uh, they also show some of the investigating, the investigative techniques that they're using. Like uh, they picked up this Aaron Anderson uh, I think he, that's that that's is that Brill or is Brill Shopshire? Uh, it's it's the guy who got busted at the hotel after his apartment got busted into that's by Anderson. Shropshire last yeah. episode. Anderson. Uh, they have a couple ticky tacky prior convictions that they are escalating into because they I think they only you know because his whole stash house is gone. He had any cash. He had any weapons. They have a hundred grams of whatever drug, uh, which isn't from, a lot from ages ago though, right? Like, wasn't this a prior? Uh, yeah, the I, I wasn't I wasn't quite sure if like because the other thing we know about this guy is he is already a cooperator too. He's cooperated before. Yeah, but it I seems think like they're repulling his old arrest to get him to do more here. It's and I know there's also things called like uh, you know when you have pr- certain priors that like they if you get picked up again they can like uh, even if you've paid your time on that they can escalate like if you have a misdemeanor violent you know misdemeanor assault can turn into a felony charge if you get picked up for another bar fight five years from now sort of like and they're breaking using your probation or something right. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just a way to, uh, vic- you know, not victimize, penalize repeat offenders more. And they're using yeah, these powers yeah. to lean against this guy to make him cooperate against his will, uh, that kind of stuff. And the, but this is how they find out. This is the first time they get uh, the idea that this uh, Shropshire is tight with this guy named G Money, who is a cop that works on narcotics. Because, again, these investigators don't know the shit we know. They don't know about the... You right. know, Mor- Mormaduke or whatever his Mar- name is. Yeah, Marmaduke Gondo is is what they refer to him mostly as. Uh, so they get enough information to get a wire on Shropshire and a tracker on their car. And this yields information almost immediately because Shropshire takes his, you know, in the, in, the, in the course of doing business, he takes his car to the shop. The shop guy's like, yo, we got a GPS tracker on him. He makes a naked and the air phone call to G Money. Yeah. And tells him about it. And he's like, oh, uh, let me hit you up on FaceTime, which is untraceable. 
the cops ponder this, but I don't think I got a, a good answer. I don't why either. is why is G, G, G Moto or whatever? Why, why is he so careless? Because I feel like their answer of, well, he's sloppy and we got lucky is not very satisfying. <laughs> it might be true, but it doesn't he's feel aware- like it should be. Yeah, he's aware enough to like, well, we shouldn't be having this cover. Let's have it on FaceTime, which isn't trackable. But then he calls him back and says, oh, yeah, I've looked into it. And this means that you're being followed. And uh, and I and, and he, he uses the cover of like, I don't know you. I don't know who I'm. I don't know who I'm even talking to. to. What? <laughs> this reminds me of people like on the Internet when they say uh, when they're doing drug research and they got I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> Totally, like, yeah. Like everybody and on then, Arrowwind and on the Reddit drug forums are always like, uh, you know, a friend of mine says, I'm like, dude, if the, <laughs> if the and, feds kick your door in. there's And then there's like, you go through their search history and it's like 600 searches for Silk Road and Bitcoin and like. Right. It, and they got their wallet <laughs> unencrypted right there. And oh, yeah. Because that's what this is, right? Like you look at the list of phone numbers that they pull up on this guy and this guy's talked to him 400 times in the last two years or whatever it's yeah it's obvious there's a pattern here and he knows exactly who this guy is if you dig even a, and that's interesting to me is when jamel is talking to the fbi he's saying iad is fucking stupid like i i I wasn't sloppy they're just dumb and i knew it and i couldn't catch clap in a whorehouse (laughs) right line and and that's wild to me like uh that seems like the basic part of doing your job is to check these types of things, follow up on things that seem suspicious. And, you know, I, I don't know how deep like corruption runs in the IAD or if like there's a legitimate fear from cops from from the IAD that they could catch them doing things and they're just bad at their jobs. Uh, I don't know, but it's, it's it probably wild. Uh, well, when you look at guys like Herschel who have what, 50 complaints that you know yeah. don't generate anything is that because IED is bad at their job is it because it's really hard it's like you know IED might say well well we've we've investigated this guy he should be working but between the union yeah. and the fraternal order police and the rank and file like it's just impossible so like also like I think there's a lot of you know like IED like do they really want to bust these guys because some of this stuff was incredible like them him like failing oh, a polygraph dude. and lying about knowing um his his partner when they went through basic training together uh-huh. and he's they've got all kinds of phone calls and the guys like oh they never bothered to look that i guess you guys did it does paint a pretty grim picture of the you know who watches the watchers well you know effectively nobody and while even the, the heat that this guy did get that Jamail got uh-huh. amounted to a two-year paid vacation. The icing on the cake, yeah. And he rejoined the force. He just rejoined. Uh, they just threw him into like the professional criminal department. Yeah. Like why? And and you got to think that it seems like all these guys. They're starting to build the case in episode two that all these guys on this gun trace task force. With one notable exception, uh, McClure mm-hmm. were handpicked because they're dirty and that they can they can skim. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's like Bernthal heading that up, uh, you know, Jenkins heading that up, like handpicking these guys, saying give them to me because he knows that they won't uh, rat on him. He knows that they'll they'll fall in line with him, um, or if this is coming from somebody else, but. Yeah, it does seem like it's just a a whole task force full of 
people who have no regard for the law. And it's like they also show like how this how far the the effects of the because a lot of people like, well, OK, if you're you know, if you're a gangbanger, you're a drug guy, you're a corner boy run around, you get might get this or that. But they make a, a, a they do a good job of showing how this catches the so-called civilians up, too, because this one guy gets pulled over. His crime is he's got eleven thousand dollars. He had uh, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt allegedly. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, sure. he had eleven thousand dollars in his backpack because he just got back from the bank and he. This was the equity of a of a uh, what what do you call that? A second mortgage, uh, a home refinancing. Yeah, and the cops took it from him and says, "If you want it, you bring your bank paperwork." I, I, you read between the lines because they don't actually connect this dots, but. As soon as they got this to evidence room, they just split the money. So this guy yeah. brings his bank paperwork back. It's like, well, that cash isn't here. He's got no recourse. I mean, this is right. the civil forfeiture is if you know anything about policing is it is a huge problem and a huge source of corruption because yes. you if you want to go buy a car and pay cash for it and you get stopped and you have over, I think, five thousand dollars, certainly ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That is sufficient evidence for them to steal your money because you have to prove you have to prove it wasn't drug money it's assumed to be drug money and none of the search and seizure laws that would protect you as an american citizen apply because the crazy thing is the courts have interpreted the law to the cops are indicting your money not you and your cash got no rights what does that even mean (laughs) what does that even mean that's that sounds insane we live, to me. On we the live surface. in a country where dollar bills have more freedom of speech than the average. Yeah, totally. You know, like it's 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 fucking insane. But every uh, dollar gets can a you vote imagine? And I can have a billion of them. Sure. And this is some black guy who's, you know, trying to get his piece of the American dream. He's refinanced his house. He's saved money. He's doing all the things that you're supposed to do. Right. And the, the, his his the 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 people who are supposed to protect and serve him have robbed him fucking blind. Mm-hmm. And what's this guy going to do in a jury? five years from now when you need to put away a murderer or a rapist or something. Right. Uh, no, I'm it's, probably, it's yeah. infuriating. Uh, there's also some, there's, uh, something that I also didn't quite understand is, uh, yeah, special agent Jensen, the, the lady FBI agent, uh, goes to investigate this or not investigate to question a Sergeant Gwynn who put a, this, um, who put a complaint against, uh, 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 Gondo a long time ago, a couple of years ago. Mm hmm. Which I guess the FBI did investigate, and he mentioned that like this is big secret cloak and dagger thing where they're like, "We'll meet, you know, be on this such, such and such a corner outside this gallery." They pull up in an unmarked van, open up the side door, take him, and nothing ever. Again, I guess my question is, how far up into the federal agency does this corruption go? Because, like this guy says, look, look, you know, when you get a gut feeling that you, uh, uh. That you know is right. I, it was an open secret that Shrop was moving serious weight. And this Gondo guy who said he grew up and was friends with this guy says it's not true. Yeah. Like that dog don't hunt. How did this not get caught before? Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm interested to see where where this uh, corruption is going to intersect with the FBI, if at all. Because right now, everything we've seen from the FBI has been above board. Yeah. Uh, and then also, I think this Cluel guy is super interesting. He's the choir boy that we saw last episode for like a second. Uh, yeah, for like a second, he he is the apparently the only one that is not dirty in this whole 
sad, yeah. sad deal. Although I think he is, is he the, uh, the white officer who's standing kind of with his hands in his vest as the, the two, uh, gun tra- task force guys are robbing a civilian of his $11,000. Um, uh, I didn't, I didn't see him in that. I was, no, I was more focused on what was happening in the foreground. Yeah. I was, I was wondering, cause like I, my, my question is how is a, how is a clean cop stay clean? Like, yeah. do you not commit crimes of omission? Like you can't not be seeing what's going on. Uh, these guys are super flagrant about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe they, maybe they're just really careful not to uh, draw this guy's attention or ire. I, I don't know. Cause like, I can see yeah, a guy I mean, like cool fitting into this task force because Bernthal or um, Jenkins is saying all the right things. Like, you know, get good stops, build your case, make sure you got, mm-hmm. you know, be able to put these guys away, et cetera, et cetera. And if, if cool is standing in that scenario um, where they're stealing this guy's 11 grand, I mean, if civil forfeiture law is what it is uh, and he sees that, well, this is just by the books, right? Like taking this right. guy's 11 grand is something they should do according to the interpretation of this law. He might not know that they took that money and split it. Like he might find out later true. that the money isn't there, but where did it go? Right? Like, cause he was rolling like when they were theatrically asking, Oh, home refund. Oh, they'll say anything here out on these streets. So he's rolling his eyes too. Like, you're like, Oh yeah. Tell us like, I just think that's gotcha. wild that someone run around at $10,000 is just like, you're a drug dealer. Yeah. No, it's I have, insane. I have personally rolled around $15,000 when I, uh, the exact thing I talk about, I went to go buy a car in Lafayette and unbeknownst to me, if I'd got stopped anywhere between Mooresville and Lafayette, uh, which now that I think of it, there's signs that says that's a drug corridor, which makes perfect sense. It's between Indianapolis <laughs> yeah, and Chicago. Or, yeah, if okay. I got pulled over for a ticket, they would have stolen that shit from me. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Get cashier's checks, kids, I guess. And, and, and hope the guy you're buying a car from is going to accept it. God damn. Mm-hmm. This is me. Out. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of infuriating stuff like that in this show. Yes, uh, that, to that, put it mildly. That Nicole talking with Herschel later. We'll, we'll we'll get to that is just infuriating. But uh, well, let's move on to because that's the next thread. The the Department of Justice civil rights lawyer Nicole Steele is going about investigation. We start off in her office like we did before, and uh, all the lawyers are listening to the the, the hottest new the hottest <laughs> new banger coming out from the streets of Baltimore. Young Moose, sure, who's calling out Officer Herschel by name. Uh, and blowing him up on this track and you know again explain for the the slow members of the audience the reason this guy's able to get away with it is because none of his charges stick which i'm very curious i'm very curious how he makes these complaints go away because it seems like there's got to be something he's doing to threaten these people they're they're i think that's kind of what they're hinting at um that if you give if if you give these people shit, that they are just going to make your life living hell. They will pull you over every single time you drive your car uh, to your work. They'll toss your shit. They'll harass you. They'll call you. Um, and more importantly, he still willing to get out of the car and make arrests when apparently there are other cops in Baltimore aren't. Um, this is this is wild. Young Moose is an actual rapper. So the, the reality of this series extends even to Young Moose. Uh, actual rapper sued uh, the Gun Trace Task Force uh, detective Daniel Hersel, uh for harassment and wrongful arrest, all that stuff uh, in like 2021, which is wild. It, it took that long. I wonder, if, 
I wonder how much of the book like was a bombshell before the series was, you know, like right. how much, but, yeah. but that's still, we're talking about getting justice seven, eight, no longer after the fact. Um, so Steele goes to meet with this Mr. Drummer who is, uh, I think a lawyer for the city or maybe he's an activist. Uh, I think, no, he's a, he's a defense attorney that had, she wants to know, uh, who's represented some of these victims of Herschel and she wants to, 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 to get some phone numbers so she can start making some phone calls. And, and that's, this essentially sets up all the interviews that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets them all from this Mr. Drummer guy. Uh, and Steele's just going around trying to get someone to inform her on, on what sh- what's going on. So she talks to a couple of guys at Herschel's beat down. Uh, she she tracks down young moose and he says that, you know, uh, this guy has been harassing me. He gives charges. He runs through my pockets every time he stops um, just stealing from him. Uh, then when she goes outside from this interview, she gets a call from an officer who meets her at Leakin Park. If you if Leakin Park sounds familiar and you didn't mistake it for Lincoln Park <laughs> like I did, <laughs> uh, you might recognize this. This is the infamous location uh, that surrounded the serial season one uh, oh, uh, wow. uh, murder of uh, Haley. Her body yeah. was dropped in this park. Um but anyway, there's a there's a Baltimore officer who's only 32 and has been put out the pasture uh, at this this dead end post because he's got a big mouth. He's got loud public opinions about policing and how it should be and how it is. And his superiors don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy really brings out from a street level like what is going on. Uh, do you have any insights or anything to talk about with this 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 guy? Um, no, it's a lot of stuff that they talked about in the first episode, right? Like this, the work slowdown stuff is causing cops not to get out of their cars. And this guy is like, well, you know, th- there are less arrests after Freddie Gray, but guys won't get out of their cars, not because they're afraid of cell phones, right? It's to spite, he says Mosby, who at the time is, uh, I'm not sure if it's at the time, but right now is a state's attorney. Um, yep. She 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 joined up in 2015, so right she's brand okay. new. They're referring, I, I yeah. I and she her prosecuted up and, uh, a lot of the cops who were involved in the Freddie Gray stuff. Um, yeah, that that whole fiasco. So, uh, which actually she was just indicted on perjury for a whole bunch of I mortgage and loan scandals. And I'm like, oh Jesus, I. I do wonder like how much of that is retaliatory. Retali- how- yeah. Like if you, if you wrote down your income as 65,000, like 75,000 instead of uh, 74,000, that's technically right. perjury on those F uh, what are what they call those uh, <laughs> well, FHA loans. Yes. Yeah, so, are federal documents. So some yeah, of it was uh, pandemic relief stuff too. Like she took out a, a $40,000 loan when in fact her salary went up that year and she had no hardship whatsoever as best you could tell. Mm. And she lied. Mm. Yeah. On mortgage the mortgages to get lower rates. The, the everybody's thing, hands in everybody's pockets in Baltimore. Seems like <laughs> it seems like it, man. Even the people Jesus. who are seemingly prosecuting the bad guys are also taking their share. It's fucking wild. But yeah, so that's the thing. Like, but you also wonder how much of that is like retaliation. Like, if there's yeah. like she pissed off a bunch of people, and they're like, is is? But who knows? Because like you said, this is this is Baltimore. Yeah, and um, it's. It, it was interesting to me just to see like, uh, okay, some of this corruption is is anger too, right? Like you think, okay, you want the cops getting out of their cars, making proper arrest, but like they're pissed off at the person who's prosecuting their partners and friends. 
and they now won't get out of their cars uh, to make a rest. It's yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of stuff here going on. Yeah, and not just because they're afraid to police because there's the cameras. It's also right. just vindictive. Like exactly. they're just not going to do it because they want this person to look bad. They want to make a point. Um, it reminded me of yeah. like, man, you see, I see this shit from cops. You remember the, uh, you know, the George Floyd protests. There was one that really sticks out in my mind in in, in Buffalo, New York, where there's this uh, riot uh, riot control officers specialist department that was like going through, and they they approach this old man who's about seventy five years old, yep. and they just violently shoved him to the ground. This guy's head split like a melon. The officer that shoved him started to stop like he's like, oh, fuck, I should do. And his other fellow officers like were came up and said, fuck this guy. Keep marching. And when that became a national disgraceful headline, as it should be, every cop in that de- in, in that detachment quit in mass in protest of them being held accountable. Wow. For just destroying the 75 year old man's cranium when they're wearing full like these were not just like cops in plain clothes or like in no, plain no. clothes or they were wearing right riot helmets, face masks. They had shields, batons. There was 40 of the fuckers. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. that yeah. they make this point, though, that's like because like we, we, we heard about how you're losing the street. And they made that point really eloquent last episode where they have all these police brutality scenes with all the people in Baltimore just looking angry and pissed at the camera. Mm-hmm. But here it's like they, he said, it's even worse than you think, because this is now affecting our jury. So even us cops yeah. that are doing things right, who are crossing our T's and dotting our I's can't get a conviction. These prosecutors can't get a conviction because there's not a jury in Baltimore that you can select. That's going to convict anybody. Um, yeah, yeah it makes, and there's also, it makes proper policing impossible. Yeah. And it's like, uh, they also show like, uh, the perils of this, uh, this, the street level harassment. There's, there's young man who's wor- walking home from work. He's crime is he has a, an inch. He has a knife. that's about an inch and a half long on him. Uh, they stop in the run through his crime area, and he's scared. He's walking walking home at night. Sure, and and, and but even like fuck, man. There's many times in my life I carried a full three inch blade because knives are handy. And sure. I, I don't know, like I don't know what it's like to be in Baltimore, but and and this guy, he is, you know, uh, saying this is bullshit, and uh, he's not. I would say going peacefully, but there's six cops there, and this is a skinny seventeen year old kid, maybe. And they throw him to the ground, and next thing we see, he's got this vicious gash on his head. It's got like 17, 18 stitches. Um, yeah, this is the kind of stuff. And that's, again, for what? Like, because he was walking through a high crime area with a hood on, hoodie on. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff that's so egregious that it's hard to believe that it actually happens. But I've seen enough at this point of cell phone footage and body cam footage, oh, yeah. and I've like. If if I were twenty years younger, and I'm thinking, oh man, look at this show. I, I start to think like, surely this didn't really happen. Things like this can't happen in real life, right? It's so beyond the pale. Or it's the exception. It's not systemic. Sure. Right, right. It doesn't happen all over the city at all, at all hours of the day. But no, I've I've seen enough now to know this is just how it works uh, routinely in some yeah. places. And it's crazy. Yeah. And uh, it's... Uh, 
It's terrible because also they, they, they do stuff that's um, I, I think it's interesting that Pelicanos and Simon are kind of heading some arguments off the past because a lot of and, and I, I remember when I first started paying attention to this racial justice stuff. One of the things um, that was mentioned is we can't have police policing areas that don't look like the people they're policing essentially saying you get white suburban cops going into urban inner cities and they're racist and they're inherently biased against these people but most of the uh, cops involved in this stop were black they look just like the guy and they're perfectly capable of of uh violating his civil rights yeah. and beating the shit out of him and brick him in the face apparently it's not enough to just get your licks in you gotta get, get this hit this kid's head with a rock yeah for um, money and money and quotas and yeah yeah or just just to enforce your fucking will you know sure. yeah uh, like it's, it's not a, it's not enough that a person you you take a person into custody they have to like thank you and yes sir you and be ultra respectful and like cops are less able to handle the, the de-escalate the situation than your average fucking mcdonald's cashier <laughs> And they have guns because they don't because they don't have to. Right. You might. You, I don't know. You might get fired from McDonald's. Are you going to get fired from the police force? Not likely. Apparently, it's impossible. Yeah. Apparently, it's impossible. And there's this. I, I thought it's a cute scene where uh, Miss Steele interviews uh, this kid, Samuels, and she talks about it. And at the end of it, he's like, do you think this scar? Do you think it's going to ruin me for girls? And she is, I guess, and you're going to be all right. And he's got kind of the shy smile. Mm-hmm. That's something else. I, 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 again, I, I gotta, if you guys like this show, you really need to listen to season three of Serial because there's tons of examples of good kids getting caught up in this. Kids that believe in this system, kids that are a, are honor roll students that are high school and they get run to this shit and it ruins them. Like, yeah. think about like if you were 17 and this, and a cop disfigured you. And there's nothing you can do about it. What are you going to feel about the system that did that? Like if yeah. you weren't criminal, if you weren't fuck 12, if you weren't this, you know, uh, fuck, fuck the police before you're going to be now. And there's it, no avoiding it, right? Like standing, standing on the corner and still being there when the cops roll around the block is not, right. is not the only way to get this shit to happen to you. Right. You could literally just right. be walking home from school, textbooks right. in your hands and get the shit beat out of you by the authorities. Right. Like, yeah, it's that that is never going to work long term. And I love yeah. like all the scenes that they show of like Jenkins being indoctrinated and him like just rounding kids up yeah, and finding weed. And yeah, well, we could talk about it more later. But like that to me is just like you know you're not doing anything effective here. You know it. Everyone yeah. knows it. And yet you keep doing it. For what? Yeah, and they, sh- they also show the the social cost of this, too, because, I, I, like I said, this guy's permanently disfigured now. But he also mentioned, thank God I wasn't on shift that day or I would have lost my job. Can right? you imagine for doing nothing but walking home, you get permanently disfigured, you lose your job. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, you still got to find a place to live. You still got to provide. It's it's just like it's 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 turning civilian. It's like there's a factory that turns cops into shitbirds mm-hmm. and there's a factory that turns civilians into criminals. Yeah. You know, and I and yeah, feedback how, how we reverse other. it. Yeah. How I reverse it. I hope Simon and Pelicanos has something to say in episode five or six about how we might reverse this thing because Jesus. Right. Um then we get the the hammer of the steel sequence, which she goes, she tracks <sighs> down Herschel at his bar. He's he's eating buffalo wings, massively disrespectful. He's licking yeah. his fingers and he's offering her his slimy, greasy hand, which is such a f- 
fucking great metaphor for this show. Mm-hmm. She's trying to just ask, and she's saying, like, look, I'm not here as in a criminal capacity. I'm just here trying to get information to try to write a report on how to make this thing better. And this guy, this this fucker is smart. He yeah, hasn't gotten yeah. out of 50 of these things for nothing. He's like, you know what? I The reason I beat these cases, because I'm these are criminals that are complaining about being policed. And that's all I got to say about th- about that. Sure. And uh, but we've seen that that's you know, not true already. Right. That they show us last episode that these are all lies. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he just stonewalls I, her, and it's, yeah, it's incredible. I have a feeling it's going to be the tale of two cops, uh, and Jenkins gets railroaded, and Herschel, like, he's still going to be on the boat post by the end of this fucking show. Yeah, and, that would make a lot uh, of sense. I'm getting the <laughs> catheter saying ready because I don't, changed. I can't piss that much blood. Like, it's just like, <laughs> right. I, I, just need, I need some way yeah. to just rapidly dispose just, of just it. Just so. piss directly into the dialysis machine, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Put it gonna, back in my system. I'll yeah. dehydrate. I'll, <laughs> I'll, turn, I'll, I'll just turn into a dust bag. Uh-huh. Uh, let's move to Detective Sean Souter. This is Detective Marlo Stanfield uh, from, from The Wire. Uh this just shows, uh, man, the tale of two, the, the tale of two cops continues because you got the murder police. Uh, you start, you, you join the episode. They're hiking through the 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 parking lot trying to find a vehicle so they can go investigate a crime. Meanwhile, G Money is coming by, and you know they got they got you know employee of the month parking lots because they jump corners and steal cash, and they're just trying to you know fuck them. They're just trying to clear clear murders, right? They also show like what these guys are. This is this guy's first murder case. And a sergeant puts him on something alone because I guess he's short on bodies. And, you know, he's like, oh, I got confidence. And, you know, you don't. You just don't have any other better option. Uh, And this guy goes to work. He starts investigating, sees this probably not a criminal. He's got calluses. He's working man looking at the alley. He's collecting evidence. He's looking at where the shells are on the ground. He's lining up his shots to see like where the guy was standing. Uh, you can you can kind of get that McNulty and bunk like you can see this guy mm-hmm. breaking down his crime scene. He's very, very smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, he interviews this man who got shot in the alley's wife. Uh, we find out this guy's name is Kendall. This guy heard a noise outside, went to investigate. Uh, the shots started firing. Her kids ran to a closet because that's what they trained them to do after a bullet went through their bedroom window last year. And mm-hmm. she ran outside just in time to see her husband laying there shot five times, you know, in a pool of his own blood. Um, and he picks apart this like this. There's this partially completed fence. Do you have any clue? Because like it seems like the. The city's theory of the case is that him fencing off his backyard angered drug dealers and he got slain for that. Yeah, but, but I don't think Suter's yeah, like, smart uh, he shot him five times. It's a little angry for a fence, right? Right. And like, since he's the smart guy that I'm watching doing a bunch of smart things this episode, I tend to like want to follow his story. But I also don't understand. Uh, did this guy just caught get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time? Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't think we have enough information yet. The thing that I really latched on to was the PR stunt that they're, that they're turning this into, right? Like going and building the fence for this family it, right. it is going to somehow like smooth over the fact that you've done nothing and in fact exasper- exacerbated the crime problem in your city. 
yeah, can we get these this white this woman and child on Wick? Can we pay for these kids' education? Can we, uh, you know, no, but we can fucking build a build a fence in front of so, so the, the the camera crew can catch it and we look like fucking heroes. But even right. the cops are cynical enough. They're like, well, you know what, like shit, it might get us a, enough goodwill to get a lead or two. So at least we yeah. got some the light on the subject. Um, he also is talking to this guy with this, this it's, sweet it's ass like Impala. Th- those those small wins, right? That's like, that's so stupid and short sighted. It's infuriating because, like, okay, yeah, you're you speak about goodwill, but you don't actually care about goodwill. Yeah, uh, this guy he's trying to build up. Uh, you know, like he, he's he's trying to build a rapport with this guy who's out waxing his sweet ass ninety five Impala with the candy, the metallic candy paint. And they talk about that and they bond over the fact that, you know, this guy's got, I think, two or three cars and Detective Marlowe's got five fucking kids. Yeah. Uh, He tells him, you know, you might want to put that bud in the bag, another wire reference. And he gives him his card and it's like, you can see this guy is skeptical. You know, mm-hmm. like if I let, you know, like if, if I let you know, number one, are you going to be able to catch this guy, put him away? And am I going to catch a bullet for my trouble? Yeah. Um. Then he goes back to headquarters. He's got uh, something in his mailbox that he says is a promising ballistic lead. I'm hoping this leads him to, you know, I'm assuming this is something to do with this shot that that, that they got. They ran some analysis in the casing and they got a hit on something. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Like if uh, is this going to is this going to relate to the gun? It would be interesting if the gun task trace forces work ends up direct. Cause you know, we, we just saw last episode Jenkins have that big old thing, a gun and yeah. talk about, Oh, maybe this ballista is going to help you out. It'd be interesting if this stuff actually ends up being the thing that starts to bring down the gun trace trace task force. Mm-hmm. But it also seems I'm like sure. the feds investigation is also you oh, know, yeah. a thing that's going to bring them down too. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Uh, which brings us to uh, save the, the biggest shitbird for last Wayne Jenkins. Um, this is a sad story of how a guy who, by all accounts, probably wanted to be a good cop and was trained to be a good cop by the academy is beat into uh, a, a thug by the system. We start with an August 2003 newly minted patrol officer Jenkins. He's walking into his first police briefing. He's walking past rows of, of plaques honoring slain officers, died in execution of their public duty, service honoring their department. He's kind of soaking it all in. And his training officer grabs him and says, everything that you've heard about policing and about due process and about cultural sensitivity, fuck that shit. And it's not just that, but like, I don't know what it's like to be a police, but I do know what it's like to be a programmer. And I've walked in on day one on jobs where I'm like, wow, I'm surrounded by professionals that are, you know, not. (laughs) And I've also walked into places where everyone is self-evidently have their thumbs up their asses and have checked out and don't give a shit. Uh And when your boss gets up there and says, just clear the corners, it doesn't matter. We don't give it. And uh, one of your fellow police said, this is bullshit. Does not. And he's like, I don't care. It's what the mayor wants. Mm -hmm. Like that all sets a tone. And it's a hell of a tone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like like Jamel says later, like you really expect me to go into this corrupt organization and be a beacon of hope and light? I don't think so. I, I right. seriously don't see how you can accept that or expect that. Uh, and like all, all the stuff like we see later, and well, in these early scenes, like we're they're intercutting between 
this field training that he's doing and the him being arrested in the current timeline, I guess the, the most recent timeline um, and sitting in a cell and just thinking about all the things he's done, right? Like these are almost flashbacks that he's thinking of during this episode. Um, sure. and, and, you know, you start to see the facade breakdown in this episode. He's, he's the guy who will look to the police commissioner right in the eye when nobody else will. And he's cocky as hell. And, he, he, I was thinking, like, is he cocky or is he just in denial that anything he did was wrong? And I think there's a little bit of both things in there. But you start to yeah. see both the the trouble that he's in and also maybe the wrong that he's done sink in in this episode. And that's that's the thing is like he wasn't that cocky guy here. He's kind of like as he he's kind of frowning, kind of unsure. Is like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's like it's in not like when training. this guy's like, fuck your cultural sensitivity, fuck your search. He's not like, hell yeah, I'm glad you say it. I can't wait to brutalize blacks and Asians. Let's right. get out there. Like he's kind of like, okay, but he goes out in the street and he sees this like they're just grabbing everybody. Yeah. On this, if you fuck you for living here, essentially, like, hey man, this is my front porch. I can sit on my front porch. You're here in 10 seconds. Your ass going to be in that wagon, too. And the theory, (laughs) the theory kind of makes sense. Like, you know what? People get shot in this block. And if everyone on this block is in is in jail for the night, they can't be shot or shoot. And if we do that enough, the murder rate will go down because it has to. Right. Well, well, I I mean, if you're. So let's put this in uh, coder terms because we just talked about that. Like if you go into yep. the shop and you start uh, stringing together patches on your code and you don't document shit and you you just like do quick fixes, you are creating tech debt. And the this is creating goodwill debt with, with the people in Baltimore, right? Like, sure, it's a solution that might bring your numbers down and artificially, but at the end of the day, it is not instilling goodwill. It's in fact doing the opposite and it's causing you to have far greater problems policing in the future than you do even right now. Yeah. And it's like perverse incentives. Like, you know, uh, have you ever heard of like bug bounties where like if you, the programmers that are finding the bugs and documenting the bugs are getting paid to do that. Well, guess what? They're also incentivized into writing their bugs that they can easily find and fix and give me the money. Uh Like these tons of preserve. And you can see like officer Jenkins, like looking around, like this is fucking crazy, but okay. You know? Um, And then they flash forward to October, 2015. It's the first day on the job. This new commissioner. Now we see Wayne who is fully calcified into shitbag status. Yeah. And uh, the commissioner is saying, you know, this, this officer who's been put on this list where he can't testify in court anymore. um, That he's doing witness intimidation, gangbanger type shit. It's not his first incident. And what's Wayne do? He says free Larong day, you know, Mm -hmm. and the the commissioner goes to talk to him and but it's like a joke because as soon as the commissioner turns his back the d- deputy commissioner is kind of like rolls his eyes and Wayne rolls his eyes and oh I'm sorry yeah. sir I won't ever do this again it's just all a joke uh we also go so like that so the, they follow the meat wagon we go back to 2003 this first day on the shift they follow the meat wagon back to central processing and it's a shit show yeah. The the city's a, a, a district attorney is set up a little like coffee table uh, where she is going and look at the, the looking at the obvious bullshit charges Dude. and giving him a deal 
Yeah, talk about this, Jim. Yeah, this was maybe the most infuriating thing I saw in the episode. This, like the ways in which the system is broken and the the cons- the conspiring that has to happen to get a system this broken is so incredible. Like when you have uh, people who are able, who are, who are being told like, hey, just sign this waiver that you won't sue for false arrest and you can be out tonight. You know, yeah. or, or take what your these people don't know what these people don't know is that the charges are bullshit anyway. And if they just stay there overnight, which a lot of them probably can't because they probably have work the next day and they'll lose right. their jobs they and kids. They got to take to school. Right. But they don't want to stay in jail for 24 hours. Maybe <laughs> maybe that. But if they had the luxury to be able to stay in jail for that 24 hours and some of these then these charges would be dropped and they could sue the city for false arrest because it's obviously what it was. And just the the level of cooperation between the the lawyers the attorneys the people enforcing the law and and the is the the perverse like co-conspiratorial aspect of the people who are being arrested too is so fucked up because they push them into this scenario where they have to be co-conspirators in their own cover-up right. it's fucked up man i don't i don't get the how lo- this system exists let alone how you fix it this, and this uh, Jenkins saying like, so we're charging bullshit here. How are we going? And and his partners like this is the line of the episodes. Like, kid, yeah. there's no dictatorship more solid than a beat cop on his post. Mm-hmm. Like, essentially, whatever we say happen, we can make happen. Yeah. And we can make things stick. It's it's crazy. And you or, see, or, or of, they, uh, they can't make things stick right because they have that jury problem too. Like, they're not they're not actually going to be able to charge any of these people with serious uh, offenses because all of it is bullshit. And right. the juries aren't on their side, but they can get out of basically anything. Like if they say right. it wasn't a false arrest, they're not going to be suspended for it without pay. They might be suspended sure. for it with pay. Who knows? Yeah. Wild. And I'm sure they're going to make it. They've, they've told us, but I probably make it explicit. Like what kind of hell these local cops can make your life if you do want to make oh, an yeah. IAD complaint and try to make it stick. Like, right. Like this guy who's suing Hersel, I bet he doesn't have the greatest time walking down the street. Oh, yeah. And like I said, like, you know, like you'll get pulled over multiple times a day. Like explain to your boss why you're an hour late to your shift every single day. Like even if you're sympathetic to your like, I got to have someone who shows up on time and you get kept. Uh, it it sucks. And we go we flash forward a year and Jenkins is still not a corrupt cop. Uh, he's with his, his training officer, now partner, and they're driving through the city and they're, t- he's, he's like, look at this shithole. We don't get paid enough to fix this. There is no fixing this. They jump out of corner. They search these three boys. They find a bag of weed on one of them. Yeah. And the cop, the, the cop, the cop explains like there's two ways that a beat cop can get the money they're, they're due in this place overtime. And no one's going to, no one's going to give you overtime for doing real police work. The other one is you make an I don't exactly understand how this goes, but the guy says, if you make enough arrests, you can overflow the day's docket and get paid twice. And I don't. But but essentially, yeah, no it means idea. that, like, we took three guys. One of them has a bag of weed, which who gives a shit in a sane country. But we're now going to say all three of these guys are drug accomplices and we're all going to take them down and we're going to let the the the, the, the court system uh, figure it out. Is that the thing? Like they come in to, you know, testify and sit in court for the day, but the, their docket number doesn't it, get pulled. And so they have to come back the next day. Oh, it might be. It might be. Cause I know that's guess. like why some cops like work in traffic because every, you know, ev- every yeah. ticket they write and they show up for, they get paid for that. And it's right. easy work, you know, it's better sure, than just sitting in, in a patrol car and, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and meanwhile, while they're taking these guys, they're doing, or essentially not doing, there's a guy doing wheelies down the street that they just like watch, which is interesting because that's something that C- Cincinnati has been having a problem with of late. The, the fucking oh, yeah? dirt and quad. Yeah. It's, I guess it's pretty bad, uh, in certain parts of the city and the cops don't do anything about it. Um, so then you get the, that's, that's, you get this, pr- the, the other pressure coming. Wayne shows up at the barbecue with his medium crabs <laughs> and his, lily fucking white friends let's say that because like you want to say okay well it's not you know the color of the people policing these people but does seem like there's some segregation within the force too and then when you're talking about this place being a shithole and there's no fixing it that's for sure like you know yeah yeah, there's some, some racial undertones all that um and, you know, he's he's kind of shamed by his superiors bringing filet mignon and lobster tails and talking about money ain't nothing but paper. And he is he's ashamed and he's looking at his wife yeah. and is like, well, why? You know, like, how do you explain to your family that you can't provide when you've got these people living high off the hog? Like, what the fuck? How do I get how do I get plugged in with this? Is there is there's anybody getting in trouble for this? Fuck no. Mm-hmm. Uh so then we get a little bit later in the year and Jenkins comes up on a stopper. They got like 10 black kids on the curb. They have found a ground stash, which means, you know, uh, the, the criminals aren't stupid. They, they come up with countermeasures. They've got uh, some drugs hidden somewhere, not on their person. Mm-hmm. Somebody there is dealing drugs. They decided all 10 of them are going to deal drugs and they're going to put them in the paddy wagon. And I think this is like this. This is setting up the Freddie Gray situation because as he's loading them up, they're making jokes about, oh, you're all going to take this trip. You're going to really enjoy this ride. You're going to have a lot of fun in there. And his partner is slapping him on the back and being like, I'm I've, I've taught you well, Jenkins, for doing this shit. Yeah. Uh, flash forward to 2004. Jenkins comes fired out of a cannon. There are six cops on some dude wailing the fuck out of him. He grabs some dude's leg and starts beating the shit out of it. Turns out it's another cop wearing Air Jordans because he forgot his, his service issued boots. Yeah. Uh, fuck. How many <laughs> cops does it take to beat the shit out of a dude on the ground? Uh, as many as show up on the scene, I guess. It se- yeah, it must be a hell of a lot of fun just to beat the fuck out of anybody that you want to uh, for whatever. I, I don't whatever. think so. He, he I don't even think know- so, but some people apparently do. I, w- I wouldn't beat people for basically any reason, but a lot of people will. Apparently. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting mindset. Um, and also, like, for why? He has no idea. He just comes flying right. up and he's, like, ready to beat this guy. Did he take a swing on an officer? Did he? And he, it turns out, like, what was the charges they actually had? He was on an indict. So he's essentially on a crime corner after dark. And then he resisted arrest. And Jenkins beat the shit out of one of his fellow officers. So they're going to add assaulting an officer on top of that, too. Yeah. And and he taunts the kid as he he walks off, like, shouldn't swing at a cop. Never swing at a cop. Whatever. Yeah, you dumb shit. You dumb ass. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. How? Yeah. How do you live in this city? Um, So they then. You you don't? Yeah. I mean, not by choice. You're stuck in the city, right? Like. They they didn't have a circle of life. And they flash forward to 2005. Jenkins is the experienced person, the training officer that's getting a fresh recruit. And he sits down and repeats the process. Fuck everything you heard in the academy. Forget all the things you learned about search and see. And this, the cycle continues. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is bookended by uh, 
Jenkins seeing uh, uh, his his partner getting frog marched past to sell and him, like you said, he's reflecting on what he's done, what's going to happen, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Uh, just kind of fretting. Um, and that's the episode. Yeah, it's infuriating. Uh, <laughs> I expect the rest of this series to be pretty infuriating. Like you said earlier, I hope they come away with some nugget of of wisdom, like an idea on how to help this situation because it feels it just feels hopeless a lot of time. I don't think it, it's it feels like the like you're never going to get any better as long as you got this war on drugs because the perverse incentives yeah. of doing like that's easy versus like solving rapes arson murder that's hard mm-hmm. you know doing actual police work is hard but it's a hell of a lot easier if you're not just hassling people and running through their pockets and you know it's 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 the money. I don't know. It's like this country. I felt like learned the lesson in Al Capone days about prohibition and turned that thing around pretty quick. Like you know, like less than a decade, you had two amendments to the fucking Constitution to right. take care of all this shit. Blood running in the streets. Forty, fifty years on the war on drugs and well, what do we got? <laughs> uh, we got we got uh, we got uh, we own the city. We got the cops owning cities. Uh, well, I've uh, I'm I'm about I'm running low on on blood and piss. Uh, I feel like we should open up the mailbag and see if anybody's got got some that they want to squirt out. Yeah, let's do it. You can you can reach us uh, by dropping us a line at corners at baldmove.com. Get give us uh, your criminal informant tips at corners at baldmove.com. We'll see what happens. First up, Nikki C says, "Hey, fellas." I'm very excited for this show, and I love the first episode. I've been a supporter of Bald Move for around eight years, but I think this is the first time I've felt compelled to send email feedback for a show. First time, long time. I love hearing it. Thanks, Nikki. I found the city council or city county conversations jarringly familiar. Baltimore City is not my part of the country. It's a separate or not my part of the county. It's a separate entity with no on paper connection to the county surrounding it. The city and county might as well be two separate large cities wrapped around each other. This is the same situation where I live with St. Louis and St. Louis County. It looks like Carson City, Nevada is the third U.S. city that operates this way outside of some weird stuff with multiple Virginia cities. But that seems a little bit different. These are apparently called independent cities. uh, And I've included a Wikipedia link that outlines it. This creates a whole slew of problems that I'm curious to see if we own this city explores more. For example, here in St. Louis, during the early stages of COVID, there weren't any St. Louis mandates or restrictions. There were county restrictions and then city restrictions. If the county had a mass mandate that did not include the city, the city would have to issue its own. While the St. Louis city mayor and St. Louis county executive did a good job working together during COVID, it's not always been the case, especially with policing. Having two separate large law enforcement departments that don't even go into all the tiny departments of the community municipality, municipalities, wait, municipalities, <laughs> Let me sound that shit out. Right on top of each other is not the most efficient way to keep places safe. A quick Google search shows it's been less than 10 years since cops have been even allowed to cross the county city line to make arrests. Of course, this is not the reason for the violent crime levels here in St. Louis, but it sure doesn't help. And I'm betting the same is true for Baltimore. The city county situation is also one of the reasons Baltimore and St. Louis are always near the top of the most dangerous cities list. Not only is policing a nightmare, but in most of these uh, articles, the statistics used do not include county data for these two cities like they do for other cities included in the list. So that essentially can, can have your crime statistics. This is interesting because like mm. we grew up in a city. This happened when we were like 18, 19, 20. 
Um, but they used to be that way in Indianapolis where you had the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police and then you had the Morgan, uh, the Marion County Sheriff's Department. Mm, yeah. Marion County is Indianapolis. Indianapolis is Marion County. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they merged all that shit because there was like, you know, this whole city's pointing at county, county's pointing at city, jurisdictional. It seems insane that any large metro area has got this built-in conflict and not only that, but just redundant shit i guess i i don't fully understand like the implications of it um i'm not plugged in enough to the law enforcement scene to know um is it just a matter of like like, inefficiencies or is it a matter of like passing the buck or i think it's all that like imagine if there was a uh a a bald move board of directors of of jim and a bald move county directors of aaron and we their their identities were you, you you had so instead of like us having one boss that tells us what to do you have two sets of bosses two sets of vehicles that you have to maintain two sets and then the accountability issue well when something went down and something got published wrong was that the county of Aaron or was that the city of Jim sure well and Jim can sit and point at Aaron yeah exactly um and just yeah it's it's massively inefficient it it allows uh these games to be played where people dodge accountability um i mean like i said i don't i don't think anyone's suggesting that it would cure everything if we merged baltimore and baltimore counties oh, I together doubt it <laughs> but it would it would be one thing that at least you know makes things a little bit more accountable and if anything else you're saving mm-hmm. money on middle management you know sure uh so, yeah, we had several people that kind of like had takes on that. Uh, I thought that was a good one. So I appreciate appreciate the insight there, Nikki, because um, it is an uncommon situation that the, the vast majority of places in the United States that have had you know situations have solved them because it's it's crazy, you know, like <laughs> yeah. like and it's, she said it's not just the cops. It's like you have separate fire departments, ambulances, uh, everything like hmm. it's it's crazy. Uh, Eric's next up says, hey, guys, thought you'd be interested in knowing more about the Brady list as it pertains to the 25 cops that can't testify in court on the show. I attached a link explaining why or what and why the list is, but I wanted to fill you in a little bit more on on why some agencies don't automatically fire their officers who end up on the list. Because that's what our question was. Like, what the fuck? If a police testimony is no good in court, then what good are they? You know, Mm because they certainly can't solve crimes. Essentially, officers don't get fired in big cities because the unions protect them, as you kind of hint to in the podcast. Additionally, the staffing recruiting issues big cities face due to lower wages and benefits compared to their suburban counterparts make it less appealing to just fire someone rather than reassign them to a task that doesn't require them to testify. So think gate guard, metal detector operator, grant writers, etc. In smaller departments, some department heads are, let's say, getting up there in age and don't necessarily understand the ramifications of having an officer on the list due to the nuances of the Brady list or lack of training due to smaller town budgets. So they reassign the officer to some task where they don't have to testify or they may look the other way and risk the Brady list being brought up in court, i.e. with low level charges like speeding tickets or possession of marijuana. Some departments might think it's worth the gamble on a chance the suspect pleads out before you ever get to a jury trial, which happens all the time. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. which brings me to this point. It's my understanding that technically an officer on the Brady list can still testify in court. They just risk the defense, making it obvious to the jury that this cop has lied and can no longer be trusted and might cause the prosecutor to lose their case. Any good defense Sounds attorney like will bring up. like that's every cop in Baltimore. 
At least 25 of them. <laughs> no, I mean, if, good if th- the jurors don't give a shit about oh. the testimony because they lie, then yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got that right. Any good defense. Any good defense attorney will bring up the Brady Doctrine if they can, and prosecutors won't risk it if they uh, can help it. All that said, there's still a lot of departments that will terminate an officer the second they do something that can land them on the Brady list. Keep in mind, however, I believe if an officer purges, purges, purges themselves in a personal divorce hearing, that perjury is a Brady violation as well. Well... I mean, sure. either follow the law and right? don't lie in court or you fucking don't, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I mean, I guess this this blows yeah. up uh, Mosby, too, because if she's lied on her mortgage application, then right. that's an indictment of her character as a fucking district attorney. Uh, thanks. Keep up the good work. Well, I appreciate it, Eric. I appreciate you uh, informing us a bit more about that. Um, Chris M., says, I'm a huge fan of The Wire and a reader of We Own This City book, and I'm excited to hear you are covering the HBO series based on it, and I've enjoyed your coverage of the first episode. You may or may not be aware that in 2021, Sonia Sohn, who plays Kima from The Wire, the the badass lady cop, Mm -hmm. directed a film called The Slow Hustle, which is available right now on HBO Max. It covers in detail the story of one of the officers involved in We Own the City. If you're not familiar, proceed with caution as just doing an IMDb search will give away a lot. You may want to wait till after this concludes to view it, but it should not be missed. It's a partic- it's a fascinating and in-depth look at a particular aspect of the story that was in the book and will surely occur in the series. Um, yeah, I'm hmm. pretty hot to watch that as soon as we get done with the show. Thanks for the recommendation. The slow hustle, Cup- huh? The slow hustle. Um, that was my specialty on the dance floor. <laughs> uh, a couple of other notes regarding police body cams. While I agree they're a necessity, I think any young person who wants to become a police officer would have to think hard about taking a job where your actions are being recorded every hour of every day and could be scrutinized by anyone at any time in the future. Yes. They will likely have the negative impact of fewer people wanting to become a police officer, which is troubling. Food yes. for thought. Yes. Yeah, but do, Isn't that the is it really... Purpose? Yeah, like, fuck that. Like, you're carrying a gun. Mm-hmm. Do you know who else lives under th- constant threat of surveillance while they're on their shift? McDonald's employees, Walmart employees, <laughs> FedEx employees, mm-hmm. like, almost any employee in a retail location at any time. Like, the only place you get a respite is the fucking bathroom, and I'm pretty sure the body cams have provisions for that stuff, too. You know? Like, if you're beating someone's ass and you're taking a bathroom break and the camera cuts off, that's suspicious. <laughs> but, like, I... <laughs> I have I have zero because like where are they going where they're not getting filmed 24 seven and again they sure. carry a gun welcome to the profession of arms there's greater should be should be greater oversight uh, over yeah. a person no with, I with I, I want people who are hesitant about like the actions they they do being filmed to stay off the fucking police force like yeah let's get the people who the, the 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 you know if, if if they're doing their jobs properly they have nothing to fear right i mean that's that's the line that everybody wants to give like if you're doing nothing wrong you have nothing to fear from surveillance well why doesn't that apply to the cops and it seems like an overall i i if i was a cop i would want a body cam because like you do get a bunch of stupid shit you do get a lot of spurious complaints um sure. because of the bad reputation of police and that protects sword. good cops mm-hmm. you know and like I said, I think there's ways that you can protect. A, I, I do. I'm sympathetic to the officers need for privacy. 
They want to call to their wife or their husband. They want to have a conversation mm-hmm. with their print, their child's principal. They want to go take a piss. But they they're not doing that cl- on stops, right? Like that's right. That's the thing. They're not doing that when they're actively on the job. Right. Like, sure, they do that in the office, but I kind of don't care if there's a body cam while they're walking down the halls of the PD. Right. So I, uh, I, I get, and I, it's, it's kind of, that's a problem. That's a recruiting, like, you know, what do we, that's what we kind of opened up. Like, what should you pay an officer? What should the perks be? What should the benefits? Like, if you do the job right, you're a hero. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, I, this is so, this is all happening in our lifetimes, man. Like, cops used to be, you, yeah, you, you, respected. Uh, like, like, yeah, and 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 looked up to, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you you taught your kids if if you you're in trouble you go and talk to a cop and get an office and like lots increasingly parts of the country are not teaching their kids to go find a cop when they're in trouble for Stay good the fuck away from the cops when you're in trouble especially if you got skin tone darker than a paper bag mm-hmm. uh yeah. Uh, Seawells writes in and says, Hey gang, I'm glad you guys are recording a podcast for the show. Given I have a lot of thoughts for the elements that will be portrayed. One, I call Maryland home sweet home. I think we discovered that in the walking dead podcast Two, I am black three. I am almost, uh, the almost cyclical nature of drugs and drug prevention in this area. Um, you guys didn't seem to notice the detective with McDougal is poot. This is detective Hawk. The other guy with Bodie that killed Wallace. This, this, yeah, this is, uh, Jim forgot something glass involving <laughs> Nacho on Better Call Saul. Uh-huh. I, I did not recognize this guy was Poot from The Wire. And by far, the most feedback we got this week was pointing that out. So, yeah. Also, what the fuck happened to Hawk? Like, he's McDougal gone, got killed episode. Patrick, and he's like, get the fuck out yeah. of here. You, you can't spell affiant right. Get the hell. I don't know. Yeah. I, I hope he shows up again. Uh, in terms of this episode, how did you not smile when you see Johnny B just up there gesturing and his head gyrating, talking his tough talk? Uh-huh. Those lobes were swinging in the wind. I was waiting for a mask you something, Rick. <laughs> I think that character probably toes the line of brutality and clean police work. Well, I'm interested to see what you think after this episode. Right. Uh, Probably why he does grimace when the officers assault the kid during the raid. Uh, but the uh, Omar character kind of gives him a cold reception when he makes the uh, his fun busts. I, too, was stunned when I realized the stick up boys were actually cops. Also, in regards to consent decree in PG County, I tried to look that one up. But there's so many of them to go through. I didn't find what I was looking for. But in the early to mid 90s, PG County was of the exodus spots for D.C. residents who couldn't stand living in a city amongst the crack epidemic and extreme violence that it brought with it. I was one of those families. Uh, I, being one of those families, have pleasantly enjoyed watching this area boom and become probably the best area for black uh, families to live in the area. Also, the scene in Bel Air, Maryland may have been a weird thing for some who aren't familiar with the area. Bel Air is located in Hartford County, which isn't that uh, which isn't that important outside of the fact that Hartford County is a suburb of Baltimore. And that is one of the hot spots of the opioid crisis in the state. Hmm. None of us knew anything about this, given when black kids were raised towards the end of the 90s. Our entire school was plastered with no means no. And that heroin is another word for death type of stuff. While crude and perhaps insensitive to the complex topic, that and the drug awareness did work well on me and my friends to never even be interested in it. Fast forward to 2015, around the same time as it showed, the Washington Post put out an article about how heroin is infesting Baltimore suburbs. 
And one of the most impactful pictures was a quiet neighborhood with a child crying in the baby seat with both of his parents OD'd in the front seat. I've either seen that picture or one like it, because I think that sad scene repeats a lot uh, around the country in the last 10 years. This is around the time they found out about fentanyl. So you guys, the surmisal was correct. Appreciate your pod and I'll be tuning in and writing as often as I can. Um, that's interesting because I think that uh, the the just say no campaign. I mean, there's lots of statistics about the fact that it didn't do what it was supposed to do. But it, it also I got to say it worked on me. I was a very religious kid growing up and like that gave me a kind of dialogue tree because I was offered drugs in high school and just being able to say, no, I don't, I don't know. Like if they never talked about drugs in school, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that, if it would have gone differently, but. Yeah. It's tough to say if it worked on me or if I just didn't, I wasn't presented with opportunities. Um, you never I, got off. Well, you got, you bailed out of high school. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't like, even in the parts of high school I attended, I wasn't allowed to hang out with anybody. So like, I, right. I couldn't really make friends in school. No one was close enough to me to think, okay, this guy might be cool if I offered him a joint or something like, yeah. So I don't know if it worked on me, but I think there are people that it does work on, right? I don't think it's all bullshit. And, and a lot of that stuff is like heroin's a fucking nasty drug. Fentanyl yes. is God awful. Uh, opioids like the, yeah, that stuff is terrible. And I don't think Meth, like yeah. anybody should do it. And a lot of the times it's just circumstance that push people to it. It's not even that they got in and said, hey, this would be a fun, cool thing to do and then got in too deep. It's more like, God, my life is shit and it's just made worse by everything around me. I'm looking for an escape. I think the the problem I have with the drug education in America is it's not factual. Like, it's fine to say, just say, no, you shouldn't take drugs, kids, because it, even marijuana, like I wouldn't I would be disappointed if my son started smoking marijuana because like it's da- it's it's dangerous in the fact that it can make you comfortable being in a shitty situation. You know, it's it's a way that it's you can medicate on. your life away. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But like, I also think it's not cool to tell people obviously l- l- obvious lies about like things like marijuana yeah. And like how like 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 how dangerous it is compared to like cocaine, how dangerous cocaine is compared to like meth and heroin, because what happens is if a kid does like, oh, God, I'm going to I must have come to peer pressure. I'm going to try this for the fucking devil's lettuce and essentially nothing but good things happen to them. Then it's like, well, fuck, what else was I lied about? Was I lied about mushrooms? Was I lied about? And then you get to a point where you're at a party and you're just doing whatever pills and then that shit gets all fucko and it's because you lied to the kids man yeah you didn't say you shouldn't take marijuana because it fuzzes up your head and makes you not care about your grades as much and makes you cool with being kind of like a slacker loser and and your brain's not done it's it's like you know like like fucking reefer madness right uh that's the problem i because like if you do cross that line and you find out it's just like a cop like the first time you steal money and nothing happens it's it's like you know you, you fucking go nuts. I, I don't know. I, I, I do. I do. I don't think we should lie to our children about drugs. We should have those conversations. They should be factual conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave G says, Jim and Aaron. So glad you're covering David Simon's return to Balmer. Quick thoughts on one question. I agree that Ahmed uh, seems to be the audience surrogate. Uh, what happened to Ahmed and, and Hawk, man? It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's the McDougal and steel show. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe I'm too Simonized, but it seems like Nicole had a little too much exposition. There was a lot more. There's more than enough that I couldn't keep up with to make the rewatch well worth the extra hour. Oh, there's still more than enough. And I couldn't keep up with it to make the rewatch well worth the extra hour. Um, That was a common complaint about this first episode. And I don't think it entirely goes like steel continues to be almost exclusively expository. But I'm liking it, but I could see why some people might not. Yeah. Yeah, and I also it feels like a side effect of the time jumble. I'm, I'm the jury's still out on whether it would have been, but I also I don't know how you tell the story if you just start with Sergeant Jenkins in 2003 and you, I don't know, in a six episode series. And it's her I, role, right? She's she's effectively the the journalist of this series, right? She's writing a report. It's gonna be a lot of exposition, so. Says, when do you think the paper bag scene took place? When Jen- Wayne Jenkins looks older, but I don't see his sergeant stripes. Is this the young Wayne before the gun ta- trace task force, or is it demoted but not convicted and jailed Wayne walking to beat after the 2017 arrest? I only know the background of the killing of Freddie Gray, but not the disposition of the cases against the officers involved. Their subsequent BPD scandals. I don't. That's a good question. I'm guessing. Just like you said, he doesn't have the sergeant stripes. He's still wearing the hat. He's not plain clothes. This is in that 2004, 2005, before he started making cases and making a name for himself. Yeah. And is this he's still on lead that up line. to the Freddie Gray stuff? Or? No, that's still way. That's 10 years is away. It way? Okay. So I, I don't know exactly, hmm. but it's, it's early in his career where he's probably on that knife's edge between. But I don't know. He's working a beat. And like I said, I, I I think that was a little bit much. But on the other hand, I, I don't know. I um, I think that 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 encounter could have got a lot worse. So I think it would have sure. gotten a lot worse had you'd seen 2008, 2009, Wayne. But I, I don't know. Finally, Danielle S says, as a Baltimore native who still lives in the area, I'm intrigued with all things Baltimore. Fair enough. I would be too. I'm <laughs> hell. I'm I'm obsessed with Baltimore. You're right. I lived through the Freddie Gray situation. It's a very ugly time in the city. This series, while good, definitely has me feeling like it's a The Wire reboot. Not necessarily a bad thing. Just an observation. It also gave my husband Training Day vibes too. Whoa! Wait till oh, you see boy. this episode. Um. Yeah, that's the thing about The Wire. I binged The Wire. Um. Mm-hmm. I wasn't watching contemporarily with it. Uh, airing on television so I, I felt like there was a lot more action a lot more movement in the wire than this show has given me so far but we're two episodes in and I do remember the feeling of being pretty lost in the wire in those first few episodes and this has definitely struck that chord again uh, but yeah I, I think this is very very similar to the wire I don't think it's a bad thing because the wire took place uh-huh. 20 years ago I think a lot of people I and mean, that's one thing I hear about uh, like people get burnt out on the subject of police report reform. It's like, oh, we've tried, and like, like the idea, like these cities are just that permanently fucked. There's nothing you can do about it. You just, this, you just got to increasingly slide into fucking judge dread shit. <laughs> Whereas this show cha- shows that like a lot of things have stayed the same, but also the games changed quite a bit too. Yeah, and I think anybody that starts talking about, well, why waste your time on police reform, on criminal justice reform? It's never going to, you're just rearranging it. It, It's not paying attention to how much the game does change. And I think, you know, the wire also is old. It's standard definition. It's a different, like 
it manifestly feels like that threshold golden age of television. It is. I think it is time for an update. And also asking someone to watch five seasons is a hell of a lot harder than watching six episodes. So if this changes anybody's mind and starts conversations across the country, I think it's probably a good thing. Um, but it's it's it can't ever be but a Cliff Notes version of The Wire with like updated for 2022, you know? Yeah. Like in a wire so. addendum. And also, I just think it's like a lot of people don't understand like the cops reaction to these. Like, do, how do they see efforts at criminal justice reform and and that stuff, too? I think that's that's eye opening, too. Uh, so anyway, uh, I appreciate everybody sending us uh, feedback. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm looking forward to episode three and uh, we'll be here next week when the new episode drops. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.